Good evening. Got here at, uh, shortly after six, and there was only a handful of us. And I was like, great, we can just have a little Bible study and go home. <laughs> um, well, let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you for once again preserving our lives for a time such as this. Father, when we think about all the interesting things that have happened in this weekend, the busyness of our days, and we find ourselves here, Lord, um, in some cases still wondering whether we should be here, still worrying about what we should have gotten done, what could have gotten done. We ask, dear God, that you would just allow us briefly to put those distractions aside so that we could see you and understand you clearly from your word. Father, in my excitement, sometimes I go ahead of myself. Settle my heart, Lord. Settle our hearts. We ask simply, Lord, that the words of our mouths and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you. Bless now this time in your word, and we ask these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, this is a continuation of uh, <laughs> a sermon that uh, we were supposed to uh, complete on Father's Day. So uh, I thought I'd gotten off scot-free until I was told by Pastor Lee, no, you got to finish it. <laughs> and uh, no, with delight, we, we do that. Uh, we looked at or began to look at the life of Joseph. Not necessarily Joseph in the Old Testament over there in Genesis 37, but Joseph, the father of Jesus. And oftentimes when we talk about uh, fathers, uh, usually, I, I don't think personally I've heard of anyone or any time when Joseph, the father of Jesus, has ever been uh, mentioned or looked at in light of fatherhood. But when one would sit or stand or think about uh, this man called Jesus, and when we look at the extraordinary circumstances surrounding his introduction to the human world, we think immediately of Mary, the mother of Jesus. We think immediately of this angel Gabriel appearing to Mary. Again, put yourself right there in her sandals. And appearing and greeting her this strange salutation and telling her that she is the chosen one to bring this Savior into the world. Well, the more I thought about it, I said, well, obviously God chose Mary to bring in the world, but what about Joseph? As a matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 1, Matthew chapter 1 starts out where Joseph's pedigree, so to speak, is given. I mean, he is in direct line of David. So, that would give him a special mention, should it not. But as we read Further on in Matthew chapter 1, <clears throat> listen to what Scripture says about this man by the name of Joseph. Chapter 1, verse 18. 
says, now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. But when he had considered this, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and shall bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which translated means God with us. And Joseph awoke from his sleep, and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and took Mary as his wife, but kept her a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. What an interesting passage. Here it is, in chapter 1, we have, it starts out the record of the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham, and it goes on. Have you ever had the pleasure of reading over there in Numbers, uh, where this one had 12 sons, and 12 sons had 14 sheep, and he died, and he begat 8 sons, and the oldest one was... Well, you kind of get through that boring stuff, but I shouldn't call it boring because it is important. God allowed it to be there. But in chapter 1 of Matthew, you see where Joseph's, where Matthew gives why Joseph was chosen. But it gives a little bit more. It says in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man. Number one. <laughs> Joseph, being a righteous man. And I thought about it, the more I thought about it, the more excited I got because um, Joseph finds himself in very good company by being called a righteous man. For example, there's Noah, who was righteous. Uh, you got, uh, what's the guy's name who took the children of Israel out of Egypt? You got Moses, all right? That's a righteous man. Uh, you got King David, who was a righteous man. Uh, listen to what God says um, about this man here by the name of Job. Uh, Job chapter 1, uh, listen to what it says. Uh, God is having a conversation, by the way, with Satan. And the Lord says to Satan in verse 8, he says, Have you considered my servant Job? For there is no one like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man, fearing God and turning away from evil. It's a righteous man, is it not? And so here, Joseph in Matthew chapter 1, being labeled a righteous man. Exactly what do we mean when we say righteous? Or what does it mean to be righteous? How does one become a righteous person? Is there another option of being righteous? As a matter of fact, I asked myself, what's the opposite of being righteous? Well, that was a no-brainer. It's being unrighteous. But the challenge for me came in the middle of the fact that um, 
when we look at fatherhood, usually we don't consider righteousness and fatherhood in the same sentence. I'll never forget the date. My brother and I were going off to college. For the very first time, my mom took us to the airport, dropped us off. Where This is pre-9-11, where you could go into the airport and go all over the place, even go all the way to the gate and tell them bye. My mom's weeping. And uh, I asked my mom, I said, Mommy, wh- why are you crying? I mean, you know, Peter and I were just going around the corner, we, you know. And uh, she whispered in my ear, she said, son, one of these days you'll understand. Well, it wasn't until, uh, I'm going to get in trouble for this now, May 4th, 1996, when um, we're at the hospital and uh, the doctor looked at my wife and she says, okay, Mona Lisa, it's showtime. And Mona Lisa's in there, she's doing the breathing thing. <laughs> and uh, before we know it, we got this baby on our hands. Well, just as a side note, my mom, who's a midwife, was in the room when all of this is, <laughs> when all that's been going on. And she's cheering Mona Lisa on, she's cheering me on. And... Um, I'll never forget leaning over to my mom and saying to my mom, I think I understand. Because in a few seconds, I was ushered into fatherhood. And in my thinking, I was totally unprepared. So what do you do with this thing? All arms and legs and pretty as she was. I shouldn't call her a thing. She's going to get on me tonight on the way home. Sorry, Jasmine. I'm pleading the fifth now. Fatherhood and righteousness. Joseph being a righteous man. Here, here are a couple of modern day definitions for, for, for what it means to be righteous. Uh, it can mean being right or just. Another one uh, uh, definition I found said it can be right without any deficiency or failure. That one kind of scared me. Another writer said that one conforms in his actions to his character. Got to thinking, well, what defines that character? Until I came across another definition that says one who has conditioned his life by a stand which is not theirs, but God's. Joseph being a righteous man. This person has a walk with God. Has a right walk with God. And understand, ladies and gentlemen, this doesn't just affect fathers, does it not? Seeing as we're two weeks away from Father's Day. Husband Day, that's next. <laughs> this, in, in effect, affects us all as being righteous. Are we not? Are you a righteous person? Am I a righteous person? The righteous person is justified. The righteous person is made or declared not guilty by faith in Christ. And he shows forth his faith by way of his works. Can someone look at your life and say, there goes a righteous person? If you were to ask my family, 
No, don't, don't ask my family. <laughs> is Patrick a righteous person? Well, you ask Cadmiel, I could pay him off. He'll answer you, yeah. Did the others, well, I don't know. How is one made righteous? Listen to Proverbs. Listen to what Proverbs. And like I said, I, 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 my desire in all of this has been to uh, coach up, not to coach down. Because oftentimes I find, too, in the middle of talking to men, especially speaking to us men, a lot of times we, we get bashed all about, don't we? Uh, so listen to what Scripture encourages us with as far as righteousness is concerned. I'll just read some of them. I'm going to start from Proverbs chapter 10. Let's just start from verse 1. So the Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son makes a father glad, but a foolish son is a grief to his mother. Ill-gotten gains do not profit, but, here's our word, righteousness delivers from death. Look at verse 3. It says, the Lord will not allow the righteous to hunger, but he will reject the craving of the wicked. Look at verse 6. Blessings are on the head of the righteous. But the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. The memory of the righteous is blessed, but the name of the wicked will rot. And what you're going to see all through Proverbs, you're going to see this comparison between the righteous and the unrighteous. You decide which side you want to be on. Look at verse 9. He who walks in integrity walks securely. That's the righteous person. But he who perverts his ways will be found out. Verse 11, the mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but the mouth of the wicked conceals violence. Verse 14, wise men store up knowledge, but the mouth of the foolish ruin is in his hand. Verse 20, the tongue of the righteous is as choice silver. The heart of the wicked is worth little. The lips of the righteous feed many, but fools die for lack of understanding. Kind of get the message? Let's read some more of it. Go over to chapter 11. Verse 5. The righteousness of the blameless will smooth his way, but the wicked will fall by his own wickedness. The righteousness of the upright will deliver them, but the treacherous will be caught in their own greed. I like Proverbs. Proverbs, I mean, you just kind of interpret it the way it's written. Look at verse 18. The wicked earns deceptive wages, but he who sows righteousness gets a true reward. He who is steadfast in righteousness will attain to life. And he who pursues evil will bring about his own death. If you're looking for a good uh, place to study a Bible, if you take the book of Proverbs, just get a good pen. And everywhere you see the word righteous, just put an RT. <laughs> and then make a list on the righteous. Do that for a good uh, rainy night with a good cup of coffee. It, it'll, it'll bless your socks off. Drop down to verse chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 1 says, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. That's a righteous person. But he who hates reproof is stupid. Can, can we use that word in church? Okay. 
A good man will obtain favor from the Lord, but he will condemn a man who devises evil. Verse 5, the thoughts of the righteous are what? Right and just, but the counsels of the wicked are deceitful. Verse 7, the wicked are overthrown and are no more, but the house of the righteous will stand. So when scripture says of Joseph, Joseph being a righteous man, let's establish the context. Here's a man who, according to his culture and his religion, demanded that any person who was uh, found pregnant, well, not just found pregnant, but again, let's, let's consider Mary's situation. And like I said earlier, her situation was quite extraordinary. Here's this virgin, this young lady, uh, who finds herself engaged. She's engaged to a righteous man. And uh, she gets this greeting from an angel saying, you're going to give birth to the Savior. Can you imagine her heart having to tell Joseph, being a righteous man, hey, um, Joseph, how you doing? Um, maybe I'm fine. Had a good day? Yeah, good day. Sit down, I have something to tell you. Again, put yourself in these folks' sandals. Joseph, here's the good news. Because it really was good news, right? A Savior is coming. But in his mind, wait a minute, you can't do this to me. You're, you're pregnant? For who? But how? But where? I mean, when? Where? Joseph, all I was told by an angel was that I was going to give birth to the Savior of the world, the Messiah. And we're to call his name Jesus. Look at Matthew chapter 1, just a little bit closer. Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to do what? Disgrace her. You know what they were supposed to do to Mary at that point? You're supposed to take her outside the city and stone her. Bad girl. But Joseph, not wanting to disgrace Mary, remember, he's engaged to her, right? What does he decide to do? According to verse 19, he's planning on sending her away secretly or privately. That was kind of the old school way of getting a divorce, so to speak. They were engaged. What was it that made Joseph not want to disgrace her, bring her to public shame? If you want a really interesting way of messing up your theology, you should watch uh, some of these uh, uh, Bible series that they got on, uh, on Channel 51 and 54. That really destroy your theology. And you look at the turmoil that was going on between, with Joseph and what to do with Mary. Could Joseph have been upset? Could he? He could have been. Why? Why could Joseph have been upset? The embarrassment? The disappointment? Betrayal? How could you do this? Yeah. What else? How might he be feeling at this point? Hurt. Like a bouquet of roses. Or perhaps not. And so Joseph being a right man, a righteous man, a just man, 
one whose character was defined by God decides that he's going to put his wife away. Well, here's my second point. Look at verse 20. But when he had considered this, considered what? Putting her away secretly. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. My first point was the fact that Joseph was a righteous man. My second point is simply this. Joseph was able to discern the voice of God. Again, qualifying him as a righteous person. You ever, you ever, you ever make a dumb statement like this? I know I've made it a couple of times before, and I'll tell you later on what Moon Lisa told me. There was a time, especially as a teenager, I said, God, I wish you would speak to me. And I'll never forget one night telling Mona Lisa, sharing with her a deep part of my heart saying, sweetie, I just wish God would speak to me like he did Moses and the boys. I just wish he would set something afire. As a matter of fact, I'll never forget it. There was a particular car I was driving. It was a Volkswagen Fox. And I said, I just wish he'd like take the car and just catch it afire and speak to me through the, you know. Not that I hated the Volkswagen, it's just... Anyway, my wife said something so profound. She said, Patrick, as scary as you are, <laughs> she said, you'd be so busy trying to get out of God's way, you wouldn't hear him in the first place. But here's Joseph, this righteous man, wanting to do the right thing. He's made a decision in his mind. I'm just going to put away quietly. I won't embarrass her. It won't be an embarrassment to me. Well, if it's a little embarrassment to me, I can handle it. I'm a man. I can take the shots. But I'm going to put her away quietly. Let her go and have her baby and whatever this uh, thing that's going on in her life, you know, we'll, we'll pray for her and maybe we'll catch up later. But this angel appears to him in a dream. He says, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child who has been conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. Joseph probably saying, now where did, where did I hear that before? That's right, Mary just told me that. So this man was able to discern the voice of God. How do we discern the voice of God today? How might you and I hear the voice of God today? Do I have to pray a silly prayer like I was praying that God would set something afire like he did with Moses and the boys and speak to me through the burning bush? Is there a special formula that I'm supposed to uh, say or do when I, uh, before I go to church so I can hear God? Or How does that come about? Any takers? Read his word. You mean I just open the book and read it? That's a good place to start, isn't it? His spirit speaks to my spirit. It says, Patrick, dig here, stop there, ponder this, meditate on this. But if we never open his word. How can we ever expect to hear from him? We say, Lord, speak to me. Tell me what to do. Amen. And we get up and we go about our day, 50 miles a second, God speaking to us, but we're not hearing anything. How much time do we spend here trying to discern the voice of God? 
tuning our ear to hearing him. Being able to say, I know this is what God's told me to do, and as a result of him telling me what to do, I'm going to do it. All we know from Scripture, according to Matthew chapter 1, that when Joseph hears this, listen to what God tells him in verse 21 and 22. It says, she, that's Mary, your engaged wife, she will bear a son, and you, Joseph, you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. As a matter of fact, when I looked at this a little closer, the angel was basically saying, Joseph, you better stay in there because who usually gave the name of the child? The daddy. So the angel was basically saying, boy, you better stay there because you're going to have to give this child a name. Verse 22 says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. And here's this Old, Old Testament quote from Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and shall bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, or which translated as mean, uh, means God with us. Here's my point number three. Joseph was obedient and did exactly what God said. That's a no-brainer. How do we know? Look at verse 24. It says, And Joseph awoke from his dream, or from his sleep, packed his bag, and headed south for the border. Is that what it says? That's right. Says, and Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Wow, wait a minute, what's going on? Here's this woman. Now, think of the culture of the day. Think about what's going to happen when the papers get a hold of this sweet, juicy news. This woman's pregnant. She claims she's pregnant by the Holy Spirit. And the fellow she's supposed to be getting married to is going to marry her. How many papers do you think that'll sell today? The punched. <laughs> oh my goodness, those poor machines will break down. Quick, quick, we need more copies. Listen to this. Put yourself right there on the streets of Jerusalem or wherever this event takes place and feel the tension. Those of you who are married, put yourself in Joseph's shoes, in Mary's shoes. We're engaged. Everybody's happy and oh, they're going to be such a wonderful couple. And then she comes with this wonderful news. I'm pregnant. I don't know who was advising Joseph, but remember now. Anyway, point number three. Joseph is obedient. How many times, how many times, how many times, how many times? Did I say how many times? How many times? How many times? Have we known what God has told us to do? He's spoken to us clearly from his word. And we've disobeyed. The good news is, we got a good example of a man here by the name of Joseph, who in an extraordinary circumstance, in extraordinary conditions, is able to discern God's voice and obey. Didn't probably fully understand what was going on. Probably couldn't appreciate all the uh, facets that this would entail. But all we have is verse 24 where it says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary's his wife. <laughs> Here's my fourth point. Then I'll set up and go home. Joseph was able to recognize where God was working. 
and put his own rights aside. How do we know that? Look at verse 24 and 25 again. It says, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. In other words, they got married. Joseph married a pregnant woman. Look at verse 25. Anytime you see that word, but, um, get excited. It's a term of uh, contrast. It says, But he kept her as a virgin until she gave birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. He didn't fully understand what was going on. He's engaged to this woman who he thought to be a virgin. That was the anticipation. The culture that they demanded it. She gives him the wonderful news. Hey, Joseph, I'm pregnant. An angel, Gabriel of all people, appeared to me and he told me this. The Messiah is going to come out of this womb. Well, that's fine and good, Mary, but... um, You know, biologically speaking, how could that happen? One plus one is two. Who's the fella? Do we have that? No, we don't have the 3D version behind the scenes footage of the conversation that went on when she revealed this information to him. All we have is scripture saying that Joseph was a righteous man, number one. Number two, he was able to discern. He heard God's voice and he was willing to be obedient. He obeyed what he was told to do. Forget all the what-ifs. Forget all the uh, confusion of the time. Forget all the embarrassment, the hurt feelings. All we have is Scripture saying that he married her. And look at what he did. He kept her a virgin until she gave birth. Now, I don't know about you, but usually when you get married, there's some rights and privileges that come with marriage. Yes. In fact, um, if I could be just a little bit uh, uh, open and transparent, Mona Lisa and I, when we were uh, dating, one of the things we established early in our relationship, even while we were just friends, was the fact that we wanted to remain virgins until our marriage. Well, this friendship sooner or later became a little bit more serious than just friends. I wasn't looking for a girlfriend. She wasn't looking for a boyfriend. But um, as things would happen, when you spend time around a person, you get to know them. You say, hey, I kind of like this person. So we started dating, but the, 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 the parameters were set. We were going to keep ourselves pure to marriage. And by God's grace, we were able to, on July 16th, um, um, 1994, we walked the aisle. And uh, we made some vows to each other. And let me tell you something. You know, it was exciting. Exhilarating. Can I tell you what we did on our wedding night? Do we have any young people in here? We did absolutely nothing. We were so bushed and tired, (laughs) we just slept. We got on the plane the next morning. We're heading to uh, uh, the United States. Molisa's going to go and uh, finish her degree and that sort of thing. And on the plane, this sense of horror came over me. The plane seat kind of did a little dip-de-doo. And I was like, oh, wait a minute. I'm married, but, um, you know, we ain't doing nothing. The marriage hasn't been consummated yet. 
Now you can see all the kids going home now tonight, find that dictionary. What does consummate mean? We didn't do anything. And this horror came over me. Oh my goodness. What if I die? <laughs> what, what if I die before we, you know, do the thing that everybody's been talking about? Oh, it was awful. But at the same time, it was exhilarating. And check Joseph out. He's married to this woman. Not this woman. This precious soul who's about to bring the Savior of the world into this world. And he marries her and he keeps her a virgin until after she gives birth to the baby. Now, between me and you, the brother got rights. But what would happen had Joseph and Mary had sex during that process? What would have happened had Mary and Joseph had intercourse between the married point and the time Jesus was born? He would have been suspect. Now we can't say that Christ was born of the Holy Spirit, could we? Joseph recognized where God was working and was willing to put his rights on the side. Guys, ladies, gentlemen, let me tell you something. Are you willing? Let me ask you. Are you willing to put your rights and your privileges on the side to allow God to do what only he can do? Joseph, being a righteous man, was able to discern the voice of God. He was obedient in doing what God told him to do. And he was willing to wait for God. Now, how does that translate for us today? Go and do likewise. I would love it if my children, our children, at the end of the day would say, my daddy was a righteous man. He heard the voice of God. He was obedient to the voice of God. And he was willing to put his rights aside so that God could do what only God could do. Last time I was up here and I shared with you um, some things, some tidbits, as far as how that, the practical outworking of that righteousness is concerned. I'd like to share some more with you. But the point I'm trying to make is this. It's easy to say, well, wait a minute, that was Joseph. That was God's chosen man. It's easy to say, well, it's, it's obvious to say, well, if God was going to use Mary to bring Joseph into the world, obviously God would have to find a man's man to be married to Mary so that Jesus could be uh, brought up in the right environment. That's a fair argument, isn't it? But does that change anything? Does that change any responsibility that you or I might have? Because God still chooses the mom and the dad. God still puts them together and allows them to bring children into the world. And the challenge for us is to still be righteous, to be able to discern God's voice, to be able to be obedient and answer and respond to God's commands and be able to put those rights aside. Let me give you some, some, some quick practical uh, tidbits here. Uh, there was a book that was given to me uh, several years ago. As a matter of fact, around the same time Jasmine was born. And um, I found it very helpful. But the, the, the portion I'd like to read, for those of you who are taking notes, um, 
The book is called Faith Training. But the title is 365 Ways to Tell Your Child I Love You Without Saying Words. That's pretty cool, huh? I'll read some for you. It says, when your child is participating in an athletic event or musical performance, be there. Here's another one. Leave an I love you note in your child's school lunchbox. Well, here in the Bahamas, we don't take lunchbox no more, eh? <laughs> Daddy, I got $5, please. Here's another one. Talk together about your favorite memories growing up. Yeah, the children might roll their eyes and say, oh boy, here we go again. But, but share it with them, okay? Sit in church together. Oh, here's a good one. After your teenage son or daughter comes home from a date, have popcorn together by the fireplace. Fireplace? In the bombs? No. Have popcorn. And, and, and again, this, the, the understanding here is don't be sitting up waiting on them. You come home late again. But be waiting on them to, to, to talk with them. How was your night? How did things go? Or whatever, whatever, whatever. Give your child a back rub. Oh, here's, here's, here's one. I'm going to try it next time. Walk in the rain and jump in puddles together. <laughs> Brother Anton alluded to this one. Not alluded. He just outright said it the last time when he was up here with the interview. He says, listen to your child and, and with all your attention, put the remote down. Get off the computer and look at them. Listen to them. Be attentive to them. Uh, just a couple more. Help your child make his or her own bed. Help your child clean their own room. Tell your child about the things you appreciate most about them. Tell your child about the things you appreciated most about your own parents. Okay? Learn a scripture verse together. That one's going to hurt Take an evening walk together. Have a pillow fight. Oh, here's one I found very interesting. <laughs> it says, go to court with your child when he or she pays his or her first speeding ticket. Remember now, this is ways to tell your child you love them without saying it, right? <laughs> Stupid boy, speeding again. Know when report card day is and ask to see it. Have fun answering this particular question. If you could go back in time, what famous person in history would you most like to meet and talk with and why? Again, all these are conversation-provoking questions. Occasionally include your son or daughter when doing something with your adult friends. Take your child out to breakfast, just the two of you before school or after school. Well, it wouldn't be after school. Before a big event in your child's life, like a birthday or a competition or a big test at school, decorate his or her room with crepe paper and posters. Allow your child to plan the day for your family. Again, the opportunities are endless. But the point I'm trying to make is this. Joseph was a righteous man. Can you imagine the impact Joseph must have had on Jesus up to when we're reintroduced to him at age 12 when he's in the temple. Here's a man who was righteous. Here's a man who was able to discern the voice of God. Here's a man who was willing to be obedient to what God told him to do. And here's a man who was willing to put his rights and his privileges aside 
so God could do what only God can do. Do you think it impacted Jesus? I think it did. Because remember, he was, he, was, he was 100% man, wasn't he? And think about the impact that you and I can have on our children. Think about the impact you and I, if we just follow Joseph's uh, behavior, think about the impact we can have in our families, in our communities, at church, Sunday school, wherever. Just by being a righteous person. Just by being a person who's willing to discern the voice of God. Just by being willing to be obedient to what God's told you to do, clearly from Scripture. And by being willing to put your rights and privileges aside. I hope this has been a challenge to you because it's certainly been a challenge to me. Because I've constantly been asking myself the question the whole way through. What about my family? Now, no, you don't line up after church and ask Mona Lisa, how's he doing? How's he doing? No, no, you leave Mona Lisa alone. But let it be an encouragement to us all. We've been made righteous by the blood of Christ, have we not? Every one of us who have made that profession of faith, you are righteous. You've been declared righteous. You've been declared not guilty by the blood of the Lamb. The same person who Joseph had responsibilities for, for watching them grow up. We've been made righteous. Profound words from our dear Pastor Lee. He said, Patrick, how did he put it? He says, we don't have to be a Christian. Just be Christian. In other words, we know we're righteous. We know we're declared righteous. Now let's walk with robes of righteousness. Let's walk in a manner that's worthy to the Lord. Let's walk in a manner that when God looks at us, God's able to brag on us like he was with his servant Job. There goes a man who's blameless, who's upright, who turns away from evil, who fears God. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the simplicity of your word. Thank you for the fact that you have made us righteous. When you chose to demonstrate your love toward us while we were sinners, you had Christ die for us. And all of us, dear God, who have come to saving faith in Christ alone, are fully aware, dear God, that because of the blood of your Son, Jesus, we have been declared righteous. And to know, dear God, that we can follow in the steps of Joseph by being a righteous man, by being a righteous woman, by being a righteous teenager, by being a righteous child, by being a righteous person, dear God. As we go forth this week, dear God, give us those times where we can just sit still long enough to hear your voice. For those of us, dear God, who have been so busy and so distracted, we ask that you'd forgive us, dear God, but we ask for another opportunity. Give us more healthy doses of opportunities to hear from you. Be patient with us, dear God, because it's been so long, we ask that you would just speak a little louder to us. Get our attention, Lord, however you choose to. But when you've gotten our attention, dear God, may we be able to walk in obedience to what you've told us to do. And in light of that obedience, dear God, may we be able to put our rights and our privileges aside just so that you would receive the glory, the honor, and the praise. Father, bless your word. And we thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.